Military murder is an independent project and is not endorsed by the Department of Defense or any military component. The views expressed are those of the host. The content of this podcast is not meant to be legal or medical advice. Warning, this episode contains graphic details of murder and is not suitable for young listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back, True Crime Army. I am your host, Margot, and this is a true crime podcast where I focus on crimes committed by military members and veterans. But don't worry, you don't have to know anything about the military to listen. I promise you just have to be a true crime enthusiast. And if that's you, welcome home. Buckle up, True Crime Army, because today I am going to tell you the most terrifying story I think I have ever heard. It's the story of Lavina Johnson. As a military woman who deployed to Afghanistan back in 2012, take it from me, I am so glad I didn't know about Lavina Johnson's case before I deployed because it may have caused me to go AWOL, quite frankly, before deploying. But no, I hope my boss isn't listening. This week's case is Military Murder's most requested case in the last month or so. It's been requested in in months past, but in the last couple of weeks, I've received a lot of requests for this particular case. And because it's been requested so many times, I lost track of who asked for it. So just thank you to everyone who recommended it. A few weeks back, I brought you the story of Kamisha Block, a soldier deployed to Iraq whose death was originally reported as a friendly fire incident and later discovered to be a murder-suicide. Well, today's case is about Private First Class Lavina Lynn Johnson. She deployed to Balad, Iraq in 2005. And although she had all these plans for the future, including decorating a Christmas tree with her parents and going to college, quite frankly, when she was found dead on July 17, 2005, her death was ruled a suicide. Join me today as I tell you the story of Private First Class Lavina Johnson and her family's quest for the truth. Now, let's dig in. My sources for today include a 2014 Midtown film documentary titled The Silent Truth, a Dateline SBS Australia episode titled Dark Secrets, a Rock Newman Show episode available on YouTube where Rock actually gets to interview both Lavina's dad and an attorney by the name of Donald Watkins, some writings by that same attorney, an NPR interview with Dr. Johnson, Lavina Johnson's father, and articles by the St. Louis American, the Huffington Post, Democracy Now!, and I did visit Lavina Johnson's Wikipedia page. I want everyone to know that there is a lot of information out there, so I tried to take information from legitimate sources and only really those endorsed by the Johnson family where they have an interview with the Johnsons, etc. I would be remiss if I didn't say that I first learned about Lavina Johnson's case from an episode of the ever popular Crime Junkie podcast in an episode properly titled Women in the Military. Lavina Johnson was born on July 27, 1985 in Missouri. Lavina was the second youngest of five kids born to Dr. John Johnson and Linda Johnson. But even with that handful of kids, Lavina Johnson had a special place in her parents' hearts. She was the first little girl born to the Johnsons after they had three little boys. They lived in Missouri and Dr. Johnson was an army veteran, having served three years in the army immediately after graduating from high school. 
but he wasn't too keen on his army experience. Maybe he did it more as a check the box type of deal, but in any event, after he got his PhD, he continued working for the army for 30 years as a civilian psychologist. Lavina was a super smart kid in school. She was on the honor roll the majority of the time, and she was somewhat of an environmentalist. She was really into recycling and donated blood every chance she could. She was a member of PETA, which is an animal rights organization. And according to her father, Lavina even paid her membership dues out of her allowance. She was very mature and very, very independent. Well, one day in 2003, after the three oldest Johnson boys were already out of high school and Lavina was a senior at Hazelwood Central, she asked her dad if he was going to be okay paying for two more kiddos to go to college. And Dr. Johnson was taken aback by this question. Lavina was already a senior in high school and her dad assured her that she didn't have to worry about college. But she was like, dad, I wanna go to school at a state in California. And he just looked at her and quickly said, it doesn't matter if I need to work a couple more years to make sure that you two girls are taken care of as far as school is concerned. But this answer wasn't good enough for Lavina. And she confided in her dad that she was thinking about the army. She thought it would be a great way for her to pay her own way through college as to not be a hassle. She thought it was a good deal. Her dad was like, oh, no, ma'am. But Lavina had made up her mind. She had already spoken to a recruiter who was set up at her high school. The Johnsons went and met with the recruiters and they assured them that Lavina would be just fine. When the Johnsons discussed their concerns, because this is, you know, 2004 and we have an active war going on, The recruiter put them at ease by saying it would be unlikely that Lavina would have to deploy. So off Lavina Johnson went first stop, boot camp, a place where many people break, but also a place where the cream of the crop excel. And that's exactly what Lavina did. At her boot camp graduation, Lavina was all smiles from ear to ear and her parents were so proud of their little Miss America. The instructors told Dr. Johnson that Lavina was a stellar troop. She was often the example for both men and women alike, and she was built tough. Well, Lavina Johnson went to her first assignment, but sure enough, within a few months being there, she was notified that she would be deploying to Iraq. I imagine her parents were devastated by the news, but they all tried to remain strong for Lavina. Sometime in late May, early June, Lavina arrived at Balad, Iraq. There she was, a 19-year-old soldier with an M16 weapon. When she arrived in Iraq, she was assigned to open and close the base communication center, and she wrote back to the family as often as she could, and she also called home almost every day. Well, on July 14th, she called home per usual, and she chatted with everyone. But then she confided in her dad that the night before, when she arrived at the communication center to close down for the day, there were a group of soldiers inside smoking and joking, and when she asked them to leave, they wouldn't. Just then, a general stopped by and ordered the soldiers to leave, and they all complied. The general kept Lavina behind and told her that the reason why the soldiers didn't leave was because her voice was too soft. Now, Dr. Johnson heard this story, and he felt uncomfortable about the situation, and he ordered his daughter to ask to be assigned a battle buddy. And he didn't like that she was by herself while there were a whole bunch of soldiers who he called hormone-induced He wanted her to basically get someone who could be with her whenever she needed to leave her her barracks or anything like that. So Dr. Johnson told Lavina that she needed to request a battle buddy. Now, Lavina didn't feel comfortable asking for a battle buddy, so she just left the conversation at that. Although Dr. Johnson did threaten to make contact with his congressman 
if Lavina didn't get or seek a battle buddy. A few days later on January 17th, it was early morning hours in Missouri. The Johnson family phone rang and it was Lavina. She was excited to share some pretty cool news. She had found out that her unit was likely going to be going home sooner than expected. She expected to be home for the holidays. Woohoo! You could hear the excitement in her voice. The Johnson family, they had an after Thanksgiving family tradition. So the Saturday after, you know, it's Thanksgiving Thursday, then Black Friday. So that Saturday, Dr. Johnson and his two daughters, they usually decorated the Christmas tree together. Well, since Lavina was going to be home in time for the holidays, she asked her dad to promise not to decorate the tree until she got home that year. Lavina intended to ask for leave and she was going to basically get back to her duty station, request vacation days so she could be home for the holidays. And Dr. Johnson was thrilled by the news. Lavina also shared that she recently was transferred positions and that tomorrow, which is which at that point was Monday, July 18th, she had to go to a class to learn what her new position would be. The phone call ended with a very happy-go-lucky tone, which was typical of the family calls. She did tell everyone that because of her new schedule, she wouldn't be able to call them on Monday, but she would try as hard as possible to call them on Tuesday. Well, two days later, it was early morning again in Missouri, roughly 7.30 in the morning, and the Johnson doorbell rang. Dr. Johnson got up wondering, what in the heck? Who is here this early? Linda looked out the window as she said, oh no, it's a soldier. Dr. Johnson said, oh no, as he knew exactly what that could mean. He ran to answer the door and upon opening the door, it was one soldier and he was a staff sergeant. Quickly, Dr. Johnson assessed the situation thinking, okay, no chaplain, no military officer. This isn't that bad. The staff sergeant then asked, are you the father of Lavina L. Johnson? Yes, he replied. Is her mother home? Linda sat at the top of the stairs and yelled, what do you want? The staff sergeant then began to read from his notes, quote, I have a message from the Department of Defense. We regretfully inform you that this morning, Lavina L. Johnson died of a self-inflicted wound, end quote. Dr. Johnson fell back onto the stairs while Lavina's mom wailed in the background, waking up the rest of the Johnson kids. The staff sergeant stood there as stoic as ever for about five minutes while the family composed themselves, at least as best as they could. Then Dr. Johnson picked himself up and asked, did you just say self-inflicted? And the staff sergeant quickly corrected himself and said, oh, oh, her death is under investigation. And then he left. The Johnson family was grief stricken, but Dr. Johnson kept thinking, why in the heck would they say that she killed herself? That's not possible at all. The family was assigned a casualty liaison officer who assisted the family in funeral planning, organizing to get Lavina's personal belongings returned to her family and anything else that they that the family would need to ease the burden of losing a loved one. In planning the return of Lavina's body and her funeral, the liaison officer called the Johnsons and told them the army recommended that Lavina have a closed casket funeral because things weren't pretty. Dr. Johnson took it under advisement, but hell no, there was no way he was going to bury his baby without seeing her one last time. And this is when the red flags continued. 
Lavina's body was returned to her family on what would have been Lavina's 20th birthday, July 27th, 2005. And just like in Kamisha's case from a few weeks ago that I covered, this is when Dr. Johnson began to really suspect that something wasn't right. For starters, when the Johnson family saw her, her face was not as destroyed as they had expected. An M16 in the mouth could really do damage. And Dr. Johnson knew this firsthand as he had a patient who committed suicide in the same manner. And the descriptions of that person were far different from what they saw in Lavina. Lavina's nose also appeared to have been broken and reset, and she had scratches on her lips. Upon closer examination, Lavina only had a tiny bullet-sized hole on the top left-hand side of her head. Dr. Johnson took notes. Another odd thing, Lavina was wearing white gloves, and when the family tried to remove them, the gloves were glued to Lavina's hands. Immediately, they began to suspect something terrible happened to their baby in Iraq. But what? Would they ever get to the truth? Hi, everyone. For anyone who follows me on Instagram, I recently posted a picture of me with my kiddos at Disney in front of the Disney castle. But I posted it because my shoulders were looking on fire, defined, toned, and overall just pleasant to look at. So many of you asked me in my DMs for my secret. And of course, my secret is 4 a.m. workouts. But I get the oomph to wake up at 4 a.m. and work out from my pre-workout drink called Energy Explosion. My pre-workout powder was created by world-renowned fitness guru Natalia Melofit. I have been following Natalia for many years now. And in fact, after my second C-section, I hired her as my fitness trainer. And she also helped me postpartum with my third C-section as well. So when she came out with a pre-workout supplement that didn't cause any of the jitters and the crashing, I knew I needed to try it. Energy Explosion helps with energy, and it keeps me going all through the morning hours. Because I take it first thing in the morning, which is when I choose to work out, I no longer require that morning cup of joe. This pre-workout has nootropic ingredients, which significantly help me personally with mental clarity and focus. Which, listen, when you're juggling what feels like hundreds of tasks a day, it truly does help. And guess what? My listeners are getting 15% off your order. What? Yes, please. If you're ready to get the pump without the jitters, visit mbodysup.com and enter my code MAMAMARGO at checkout for 15% off your order. That's M as in Mike, body, sup as in Sierra, uniform, papa, papa, dot com. Add energy explosion to your car and use my code MAMAMARGO, that's M-A-M-A-M-A-R-G-O-T for 15% off. Enjoy, and when you use it, please DM me so we can talk about your workouts. The Johnson family buried Lavina in the Jefferson Barracks National Cemetery. Then the Johnson family waited to hear from the Army. On August 3rd, Dr. Johnson received a call from the military medical examiner, Ed Reedy. Ed Reedy had completed his autopsy on July 22nd and ruled it a suicide. He was calling to see if Dr. Johnson had any questions. Um, well, actually, I do. Did you conduct a rape kit during the autopsy? What about preserving finger clippings? To which Mr. Reedy replied, no, I didn't do either. She was fully clothed. No need to do that. Also, there was no sign of a struggle, so it really didn't seem necessary to take fingernail clippings. Okay, Dr. Johnson continued. 
How do you explain the tiny, tiny bullet hole on the left side of her head when she was right-handed? The medical examiner explained that the hole on the top of her head was an exit wound, not an entry wound. This really stumped Dr. Johnson because the bullet hole was so tiny, it did not appear like the exit wound of an M16 round. But Dr. Johnson had one more question. How do you suppose that a five foot one inch soldier pulled the trigger of a 40 inch gun? The Emmy replied, not sure, but this was clearly a suicide. Dr. Johnson was more fueled after that call because it didn't sit right with him. Two weeks later, Dr. Johnson spoke with the casualty liaison officer again, and he wanted to know how soon he could get the investigative report. The casualty liaison officer told him that according to the Army, the evidence in this case is so messed up that it would take a year to get it figured out. In mid-September, the family received the official autopsy and the ruling of suicide was based on very little evidence. With regards to Lavina's state of mind, which is a big deal in a suicide case, it basically said that she had been extremely depressed and eating tons of ice cream. Now, when I first read that thing about the ice cream, I almost fell out of my chair, okay? You all know by now that I, like I said earlier, I deployed to Afghanistan. And for anyone who has ever deployed, you know that there's two types of deployed people. Those who use the time away from all the noise back home to get into ridiculously good shape. But then you have the other people, the ones who take advantage of the full-sized candy bars, the Debbie snacks, and the soda cans at the dining facility at every single meal. And instead, they return home 20 pounds heavier. In any event, the fact that Lavina took to ice cream in her last days on earth while deployed to an extremely hot place at 19 years old does not surprise me one little bit. But does it scream depression to the point of suicide? I don't know, probably not, but I digress. Nine months after Lavina died, the army finished up their investigative report and together with the autopsy, they ruled Lavina's death a suicide, which we already knew. Dr. Johnson, though, he wanted more, so he requested the entire report, and he made a formal request through the Freedom of Information Act. After months of waiting, he finally received a heavily redacted copy of the report, as well as black and white images of the crime scene, including images of a dead Lavina Johnson and autopsy photos. Hidden in the stacks of document was a photocopy of a CD. On the CD, it said, quote, contains all photographic images and originals, end quote. This document really intrigued Dr. Johnson. What could this CD possibly hold? And why don't I have the evidence here? Dr. Johnson appealed the FOIA response, specifically asking for the pictures on the CD. But the Army replied back saying that they could not release the CD. They basically said, call our lawyers. But Dr. Johnson was tired of playing these reindeer games. So he went to his congressman, Lacey Clay, and he asked the congressman to get a copy of the items on that CD. Well, as luck would have it, Lacey Clay was serving on a governmental reform committee reviewing the Jessica Lynch and Pat Tillman cases. And he wanted to bring the situation about this CD up when he had a face-to-face conversation with the army general. Well, on April 27, 2007, which is close to two years after Lavina's death, Congress Lacey Clay asked Brigadier General Rodney Johnson, who was the Army Inspector General at the time, for a copy of the CD. Now, this is actually caught on 
on this is called on tape on video. I saw it in that The Silent Truth movie. So the general said, hey, listen, if they submit the request, we will process it. But once it was processed, it was again denied. So the committee then ordered the army to release the documents. And when they did, Dr. Johnson did not know what he was in for. Among the newly released documents were color photographs of the crime scene and the autopsy. And the detail of the crime scene was so vivid in the color images that Dr. Johnson became convinced at this point. Before, he just kind of thought that maybe, you know, the army had jacked this up. But once he saw the images, he knew he was convinced that the army was covering up for someone and his daughter had been murdered. Dr. Johnson enlisted the help of his brother, a former prison officer, and they built their own little task force. It was all hands on deck at the Johnson home. Sometime in 2007, Lavina's body was exhumed and Dr. Johnson, although hesitant, was eager to know what an independent autopsy would reveal. He had it all planned out. There was sufficient interest in the case that CBS agreed to pay for an autopsy and Dr. Johnson was going to pay for another, a separate autopsy. The original plan was for there to be two additional autopsies. I think Dr. Johnson just wanted to really know, like no, no. But somehow the wires got crossed and the two medical examiners ended up doing one autopsy. And the medical examiners were Missouri MEs. One was Michael Graham and the other was Mary Case. The second autopsy determined Lavina's death was inconclusive. This conclusion was a heartbreak for the Johnson family because after this result, CBS, they pulled away from the story. They wanted concrete evidence of a cover-up and inconclusive just wasn't enough. Although the second autopsy was inconclusive, it did reveal a few things that the first autopsy failed to reveal. First, it revealed that Lavina's tongue or portions of it had been surgically removed. You heard me correctly, surgically removed. And second, it also revealed that part of Lavina's vaginal area and part of her anal area had also been surgically removed. Did you hear that? What in the actual hell is going on here? Well, when the Johnsons first received those initial black and white pictures, they realized that in one image that showed Lavina's vagina, I guess when she was laying on the table naked, it appeared that her vaginal opening was frozen in an open position. It was stiffened in an open position, which is unnatural. Upon closer examination of the initial black and white pictures, Dr. Johnson concluded that something usually known as quick clot had been poured into Lavina's vaginal area. Now, for those of you wondering what quick clot is, it's a war field solution for life or death situations. In essence, it's a solution that clots the blood and causes the blood loss to stop. But it's practically cement. And after you are removed from the life or death situation, the hardened surface has to be surgically removed. I remember learning about quick clot during pre-deployment training and basically being told, you know, only use quick clot in life or death situations. It's not like a, you don't put it on like a Band-Aid. It's not that type of remedy. Recently, I covered two unsolved cases, which I am sure caused you to pause and analyze your inner detective. Well, if you want to hone in on that inner detective, then you need to check out June's journey. 
June's Journey is a mobile game that you can play anywhere while connected to Wi-Fi. June's Journey takes you through the main character, June's, adventure to uncover family secrets. Her first task is to uncover the mystery of her sister's death. You will be using your keen eye to spot hidden clues in the immersive scenes that take you across the globe. The scene is set in the 1920s, so it's like going back in time. June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game, and I love playing while waiting for my kids at the bus stop. It allows me to clear my mind from the tasks of the day and to refocus on my mommy duties. What I love about June's Journey is that not only are you searching for objects, but you can join other players online in a detective club. And then you also get to design this luxurious island estate that is all yours. And if you have friends who play, you can gift each other trees, flowers, and other amazing decorative items. Today, I invite you to escape reality and immerse yourself in the world of June Parker. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Go ahead, download June's Journey today. Up to this point, I've kind of been walking you through Lavina's story through her family's eyes. But let me try and piece everything together, things that I discovered for clarity purposes. And this story is built from all of my sources, but mostly from information gleaned from various interviews that both Dr. Johnson and Attorney Watkins had given in addition to the released documents that the Army gave the Johnson family. So on Sunday, July 17th, Lavina got off of work between 4 and 5 p.m. She called her parents back home, and after she called her parents, she met up with a male soldier and hung out with him for about four hours in his room. Lavina had plans to go running with some other soldiers later that day, so when she went to meet with that male soldier, Lavina was wearing her physical fitness uniform, her running sneakers, and her reflective belt. Everybody remembers the reflective belt, right? Well, after hanging out with this male soldier for a few hours, her and the male soldier went off to the PX. And the PX is basically a military store, like a mix between a CVS and a Walmart. At the PX, Lavina purchased a tube of chapstick, a soda, and some M&Ms. And then they both left the PX and went their separate ways. Later on that day, the people she was expected to go running with showed up to her Lavina's room and knocked on the door, but she didn't answer. So they tried her again, but still no answer. The next morning, some of her classmates walked to Lavina's room so that they could all go together to this new class to discover what Lavina's new job is going to be. They knock, no answer, and then they leave. They go to the class and they're surprised that Lavina isn't there. When Lavina doesn't show up by 10 a.m. that morning, the friends report Lavina missing. But although the classmates didn't know where Lavina was, others on the base knew exactly where she was because Lavina's body was located clearly across base from her barracks. She was dead. After a contractor heard a gunshot, he went outside to check and saw a small fire. The contractor went to the tent with the fire where he discovered a dead Lavina Johnson. She was under a wooden bench and between her and the bench was her M16. The contractor verified to see if Lavina was alive, but after not finding a pulse, the contractor phoned for help. Inside a contractor's tent, a tent where Kellogg, Brown and Root contractors usually take their breaks, Lavina Johnson lay dead. She was still wearing her physical fitness uniform with her sneakers and her reflective belt. And she was laying on her back in the middle of this really raggedy looking tent 
and her right arm was across her face, across her eyes, actually. Over her body was an aerosol can, and atop the aerosol can was a wooden bench that had been burned. A few feet away lay her M16 service weapon. And for those of you who do not know, the M16 is a pretty long rifle. It's a great weapon for really tall people, but not very convenient or maneuverable for short people. And trust me, I know because I'm five foot two, and I'd rather take my chances at using the weapon as a bat than actually maneuvering with the M16. Well, inside the dirty tent, underneath a window, were a few pages from Lavina's diary that were burned in a small fire. Eventually, the army completed its investigation and the oddest of oddest things jump out to me. And they were also pointed out as odd discrepancies by attorney Watkins. For starters, there were zero, I repeat, zero fingerprints on the M16. So it appeared that the weapon had been wiped clean. The army did not conduct a gun residue test of Lavina's hands or her arms, which could have easily been done to show that she was in fact the one to pull the trigger. The army did not conduct a DNA test on the gun to see if Lavina's saliva or other DNA was on the weapon. The army never found the bullet that killed Lavina. Let me repeat that. The bullet that killed Lavina Johnson was never recovered. Outside of the tent, there was blood. I guess it's unclear whose blood was outside the tent, but of course, the family assumes that it was Lavina's blood. And well, the army presumably never tested the blood because the blood outside the tent would not fit the narrative that she killed herself. And let's not forget that Lavina was too small at five foot one to actually pull the trigger of an M16 while sticking it in her mouth at the same time. And wait, the M16 is a powerful weapon, yet the alleged exit wound is a tiny, tiny little hole on the left side of her head. The family and the attorney believe that the bullet hole in Lavina's head is consistent with the round of a 9mm weapon. A 9mm weapon is a gun only issued to military officers, although I'm not sure if it's also issued to military police, but that seems, it seems likely. But wait, the family also alleges that the gun hole is the entry wound, and it's possible that the bullet was lodged in Lavina's tongue. And let's not forget about the surgically removed tongue. But the mystery thickens. Why the surgically removed genitalia, which by the way, she had acid burns on her inner thighs and additional bruising and lacerations near her vaginal area. According to the Huffington Post, one of her eyes was hanging from the socket, although it didn't appear that way in the pictures, but she also had a broken nose. And as I mentioned before, several broken teeth. The photos also revealed bruising, scratches, and teeth imprints on her upper body. And remember those glued-on white gloves? When those were removed, there was evidence of acid on her right hand. Also, how could she have killed herself and then started a fire on top of herself? But wait, there is more. Lavina's commander wrote a statement two days after her death saying that she was, quote, clearly happy and seemingly healthy physically and emotionally, end quote. And this statement doesn't jive with the narrative the army is spinning about an ice cream induced female being extremely depressed, so much so that she actually killed herself. Another thing the family learned was that Lavina had been raped while deployed. 
and she had contracted a sexually transmitted disease and was being treated for said STD. And well, I haven't been able to find anywhere if Lavina had made a formal rape or sexual a harassment or sexual assault complaint to the army or not, but it was clearly in her medical records and she was receiving counseling for the incident and she had confided in others while deployed. And the reason I know this is because her statement about being raped appeared to come from someone's written statement, which is how Dr. Johnson knew about it. In True Crime Army, this is it. The Johnsons formed their own investigative team. They have all the evidence that they're going to get. And now in 2020, they are just asking for an independent investigation into Lavina's death. They believe that someone out there, someone knows something and that someone very high up is covering up for a murderer. But why? Oh, wait. According to a retired colonel by the name of Anne Wright, who is a close family advocate, well, Anne Wright reveals that the army investigators first considered Lavina's death a homicide, but then a few days later, it was reclassified as a suicide. So what gives? If you're considering all the evidence, it, it almost seems like it would be the opposite. Like maybe you'd rule it a suicide and then say, okay, maybe this is actually a homicide. But to go from homicide to suicide seems very strange. The Johnson family has united with other families who are in exactly the same situation as the Johnson family, a situation where the military or civilian authorities ruled a death a suicide and they conduct a minimal investigation, but obvious signs point to the possibility, however slight, of foul play. And let me just name a few additional cases. There's the 2019 death of 19-year-old Lance Corporal Riley Schultz. According to the Military Justice for All website, on March 15, 2019, Schultz was found dead near a guard shack with a gunshot wound to his head while he was on duty. Riley was stationed at Camp Pendleton in California, and he was discovered by the Marine who was supposed to replace him that morning. Now, NCIS was investigating the case as a homicide, but once the medical examiner ruled it a suicide, the investigation ceased. Now, Schultz's parents are adamant that Schultz would never commit suicide. And the circumstances are sufficiently odd. If you're going to shoot yourself, why would you do it on duty? Another 2019 case that is gaining some momentum is not an on-base case, but still a military active duty death. It's the death of Airman Kingley Jefferson Henkel. She was a 21-year-old senior airman stationed at Travis Air Force Base in California. She was found dead in her apartment after she allegedly called 911 and after she allegedly called a suicide hotline. Well, the investigators ruled it a suicide, although Kaylee's family is fighting for a deeper investigation. Now, the family is aware of some additional injuries that make it appear as though there was a struggle, including Kaylee having a black eye, a broken nose, and bruising on the outside of her knuckles. And if I could just take you back to one more case, it's a huge 2006 bribery case in Iraq. Major Gloria Davis was a contracting officer and she was brought in for questioning on a multi-million dollar contract scheme where military contracting officers received kickbacks for steering contracts to a certain contractor. Well, Gloria was said to have received in excess of $200,000 for this kickback scheme. On December 11, 2006, Gloria was brought in for questioning and according to CID, she sang like a canary, including giving a seven-page admission letter. That night, Gloria allegedly returned to her barracks and committed suicide. 
Her family contends that Gloria would never have committed suicide, and the circumstances are very suspicious. She was an 18-year veteran. She had a daughter in dental school. She had a granddaughter. It seemed like she had a lot to lose. There is a lot more to this particular story, but I'll probably get to it in a future fan club episode. If you're interested in hearing another similar case, please check out Crimeline's podcast. Back in December of 2019, Charlie did a full episode on a sailor named John Bemis, another active duty member whose suspicious death was ruled a suicide. And sadly, the list goes on. Immediately after Lavina Johnson died, Dr. Johnson told his wife, hey, listen, we can just let things lie because I know the army and once they make a call, they're going to dig their heels and they are going to raise hell. But Dr. Johnson also said, ain't no hell like the one I'm about to raise if you give me the green light. He reminded the missus that it was going to be tough. He knew that there would be times when they wished they hadn't started a fight with the largest organization in the world. But he was convinced that sometimes the scrappy ones succeed. So bring it. As for the Johnson family today, they are still fighting for justice for Lavina. Today, July 27th, 2020, would be Lavina's 35th birthday. So I found it fitting to pay tribute to this soldier, an independent woman who wanted to prove to the world that she could pay for college on her own, and she placed her bets on the army being a good deal. But it turned out to be the worst deal ever. I decided to run this case today to raise awareness for Lavina's case. It is extremely disturbing to know that someone could be serving in the military right now, knowing full well that they brutally murdered a young female soldier. Yet no one is out there even looking for this killer. Please do me a favor, share, share, share this episode. I have a lot of military listeners and I will not be surprised if 75% of my listeners never heard of Lavina Johnson but it's a case that needs to be told. I mean, I am in the military, I stand by the military, but this is a case that needs to be told. Something isn't right in this case. And knowing about cases like this help us to remain vigilant. My husband and I already discussed any future deployments. We said that we would write home daily, daily emails, basically stating our state of mind and just writing down the names of any people who we interact with or maybe people who maybe make us uncomfortable. I know it's a little extra, but deploying as a woman is already a pretty scary deal. I remember having to transition through a lot of bases while I was deployed and always being put in these transitional tents. Some of them were huge, some of them were small, but sometimes the only person in that tent would be me or maybe, you know, four or five other females. I was never scared in that moment, but in retrospect, it's an intimidating position to be in. Okay. Just a reminder that this will be the last episode because I am taking a short end of summer break. If you haven't already signed up for my newsletter, please do so because when you do, you get access to a bonus episode where I cover the infamous case of Lorena Bobbitt. You really don't want to miss it, I promise. Also, for those of you who sign up, maybe, just maybe you'll get a little surprise, a little bonus surprise content while I'm on hiatus. But get ready, because when I return, there will be a few more surprises because I plan on starting a fan club at three separate levels where you can get extra content and cool swag. So be sure to stay tuned. 
wherever you are, make sure that you subscribe. And now that I'm taking a little break, please, please help me by leaving five-star review on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, and on Facebook. And if you can leave a review everywhere, then go ahead and do that. I have close to 400 reviews on Apple Podcasts and close to 100 on Facebook. So make sure that you're going in there and you're helping me build this true crime army, okay? So if you like what you hear, be sure to follow me on social media. You can do so on Instagram at Military Murder Podcast, on Facebook at Military True Crime, and Twitter at Military Murder. But before I sign off, I need to shout out all my wonderful listeners who have already left wonderful reviews. First, I will start with my CastBox reviews. Shout out to CastBox listeners. Special thanks to Dale K, Teresa K, Chris L, Viv S, Griselda M, Karen M, Natasha R, Moni M, Mike H, Curtis M, and Tiffany N. On Apple Podcasts, thank you to It's Toya Baby, FlashFan1776, Nessa B214, and Huntress44. On Facebook, shout out to Sophie P, Carlos G, Dan A, Jose R, Don M, Desiree CP, and Courtney M. All the reviews this week were awesome, but my favorite this week is Facebook's Dan A. (laughs) It's really short. Dan says, quote, I'm an old Navy guy, but I enjoy listening every week, end quote. Thanks, Dan. You rock and I appreciate you. When it comes to true crime in the military, age ain't nothing but a number. A war story is a war story. So thank you so much for the review. Okay, everyone, I'm out. This show was created and produced by Mama Margot Productions and the music was created by TyOps. Please check the show notes for a direct link to my sources page on my website, militarymurderpodcast.com. Until next time, remember, you never really know what someone is capable of. So remain vigilant always. You have a fabulous week and I'll keep digging to bring you another military murder story next week. Podcast.